0: So as Pastor said earlier, my name is Gabe Parker. I'm one of the, um, one of the co-leaders for the worship team. And I kind of got the opportunity to speak this morning kind of on accident. I maybe brought up that I, I had something I maybe wanted to share, like during an offertory time. And it didn't really work out that week. And the pastor was like, well, what about maybe just doing a sermon? Well, okay. So uh, so here we are. So um, it, it's a good opportunity. I'm thankful to be able to um, speak to you this morning. So we're continuing with this idea of awkwardness. and. Um, Some of us definitely more than others, but I think if we're all honest, we can all admit that sometimes we just feel a little bit awkward. We find ourselves in these situations that, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, just kind of make our blood pressure go up a little bit, make us sweat a little bit, make us kind of just want to get out of there. So that's what we're going to continue talking about this morning. So I find myself asking this question, but what makes awkward awkward? Why do I find myself in awkward situations? And kind of the phrase is, well, it's only awkward if you make it awkward. So it's kind of a perception, and I guess maybe that's kind of true, but also I think sometimes we uh, kind of set ourselves up for awkwardness. So that's kind of where I want to go this morning is, is some real ways that we can prepare ourselves um, for those opportunities to share Christ's love and, and, um, and to reach other people. So something I find is, is if I'm in a situation, maybe I had planned to share the gospel? Maybe not. Maybe I just kind of stumbled upon an opportunity. Um, If it is awkward, if it doesn't feel natural, uh, two things usually happen, and for me, it's usually the first. I just bail. Whatever it is I thought I was going to say, I just don't, and I talk about something else. I talk about school, and I can talk for days about school. talk about baseball, guitar, something else. Other people, they'll they'll kind of trudge through, and they'll say what they meant to say, and maybe it just doesn't come off natural, or or maybe that message is received, maybe it's not. but either way, there's some things that we can do to, to kind of help us, help ourselves in those situations. So last week, um, Pastor talked about probably the most important thing, and it's this. That Jesus is relevant. He always has been. He always will be. And I think that's really important because sometimes I find myself in an awkward situation because I, I doubt, I, I wonder if what I think is important is also important to the other person. That's, that's kind of weird. If you care about something and they don't... Um, It's just not always a comfortable conversation. And so I think this is a really important thing to um, to kind of rest on, that what we're talking about is sharing our faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, to reconcile us to our God in heaven, the creator of the earth. That's a really big deal. That's relevant. That will never change. And it's kind of this idea like, uh, if I'm in a public place, maybe, and, and there's a fire. Maybe this is a silly example, but... Right? There's a fire over in the corner, probably going to get bad. We maybe should get out of the building. And I come up to maybe the person in charge. I'm like, hey, you know, listen, there's this thing going on over there. It's like creating smoke. It's probably going to suffocate. It's like, we should probably get out of here. That's not how I'm going to handle that situation. Right? I'm going to say, like, pull the fire alarm, open the doors, get out, fire, fire, fire. It's relevant. right? It's in your face. We can't ignore it. Jesus is the same, but, but more. He's always relevant. So something I really enjoyed last week was... Um, that interview with Tom Brady. If if you missed it, basically, um, Tom Brady's sitting down. I forget who was interviewing him, but uh, he's this guy that at the point in time he'd won multiple Super Bowl rings, right? He's got a mansion, he's got a car, he's got the model wife. He's got everything you could possibly imagine in addition to like two feet on me. And he sits there and he says, but is this really it? And he he said, he said, there's got to be something more. And my ears perked up immediately and I kind of scooted to the edge of my seat and I'm just waiting Like, where did Pastor find this interview? Is Tom Brady about to confess that he's found satisfaction in Christ? And so I'm just sitting there. I'm like, all right, Tom, like, just say it. And then he doesn't. Like, like, really? Just go ahead and say it, Tom. And then he doesn't. I'm like, for the love, just say that you've satisfied everything in your life in Christ. And he didn't say that. In fact, the conclusion he came to was no conclusion at all. He says, I don't know. I don't know. And I, find my, I found myself wondering, how, how does that happen? How does this guy, with every worldly rich that we can imagine, get to a point where he realizes there's got to be something else? But he doesn't find Christ. How does that happen? He did have to work. Why doesn't he find Christ? And I maybe came to two conclusions. One, maybe Tom Brady needs someone in his life, maybe just one person. That is living a real life in Christ and he sees it. Or maybe there are those people and they need to step out in faith and just have a very, very real conversation with Mr. Brady. I don't know. But either way, as of that interview, he hadn't quite figured it out. When Jesus commissioned us to make disciples, I believe he was calling us to be real. Uh, There's a band called DC Talk. Um, if you haven't heard of them or haven't heard them, you should listen to them. They're awesome. Um, but there's one of their songs. It's probably my favorite of their songs. It's called What If I Stumble. And at the beginning of the song, <laughs> there's one person in this room that will appreciate this. Every time I think of DC Talk and What If I Stumble, I think of Doug Kula. Um, it's just, it's a, a, my Sunday school leader, and, and the song reminds me of him. Um, so it's got kind of a special place in my heart. But at the beginning of this song, they quote uh, this guy named Brennan Manning. And the quote is this. It says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then they walk out the door and they deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So I hope there's something in there that's a little convicting. And it convicts me because I know that I've stumbled and I've fallen. I know that I've acted, maybe not even in such a way that people didn't see Christ, but maybe I've acted in such a way that they don't want to see Christ. I've, I've been that person, I've been in that place, and I think we all have. But let me be the first to confess. Um, I don't have to think back too far, I just have to think back to last Thursday. So this last week, if you weren't aware, was the last week of school for ADM students. And uh, the last week of school, there's a few teachers in the room and there's a few students in the room, so you, you already know. But if you don't know, you kind of just have to experience it. It's, it's just a little bit crazy. It's just a little bit crazy because here's students, they're in their last week, their final march into the glory that is summer break. And honestly, teachers are too. And and, um, I think we all just maybe have different priorities during that last week. But then as teachers, we do this really fun thing. We try to make the whole week fun and interesting and do things out of the ordinary, but then we still want to hold students the exact same same expectations as every other day of the year. And so we've just got this uh, really interesting situation that happens. So Thursday is here. And it's just it's just one of those kind of high-intensity, crazy days. Kids are antsy. And as it turns out, my seventh-grade math students have a test to finish. Uh, it was not the original plan that we would be testing on the second-to-last day of school, but that's just how it worked out. So I'm, I'm prepping myself for this the whole day. I'm like, okay, they're going to get here? They're not even going to remember they have a test, first of all, so that's going to be the first thing we overcome. And then they're going to get the test, and then they're not going to remember what on earth they're doing. So we'll, we'll just kind of... And then... We just got to keep their focus and their concentration, and we'll do well. And that was a battle. All hour, that was a battle. One student would finish, and then he'd go talk with his friends, and then I'd have to go have that conversation. Can you please sit down, work on what you're supposed to be doing quietly so that the other students can finish with the test? And then by the time I get done doing that, like there's another student doing the same thing. And after about 30 minutes, I'm, I'm about to lose my grip on life. I'm just thinking, if there's one more student that starts talking when they're not supposed to be talking and interrupts another student, like I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose it. And so if you can imagine, like, I have a fair amount of patience, and it's about out. And then, sure enough, it happens. The next student gets up out of their seat and goes and does what they know they're not supposed to do. And I lose my temper. So I I very promptly get up, go over to that student, give me your test, snatch it from him. Quickly, with um, a lot of emotion, walk back behind my desk, my safe place, and pretty, pretty aggressively slam the test down on the desk. And that's bad enough. And then under my breath, out of frustration... Jesus Christ is what comes out of my mouth. I lose my temper to the point that I take the Lord's name in vain. There's a commandment about that that I know really, really well. And so here I am in front of my my students. Uh, A couple of them, I don't see them in here, but they were in here first service. We're in the room, and they they heard me say that. So here I am, I'm like, okay. So I'm, I'm the worship director at my church. I'm up in front of them every week, singing and playing these worship songs. And the reason I teach is to be a witness in the classroom. That's why I do it. That's why I decided to teach. And what did I just do? I just had the opposite effect. And it really, for, 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 for a second there, just kind of made me question, like, what am I doing? What am I doing? If I can't do this well, um, maybe I need to be doing something else. And it was, that was hard for me in that moment to, to kind of work through but, you know, that's kind of the thing. That's just part, part of the, the Christian experience, I think. It's that we make mistakes. And yet, God loves us. In fact, that's why Jesus died. It's interesting how many of our worship songs are, are kind of revolve around that idea of our failure and God's grace overcoming our failure. So, so here's what I have to do. I have to confess that shortcoming. I have to give it to God, and, and then I have to keep living in his grace and, and with his spirit. And that leads us to, uh, to your second fill-in-the-blank. It's this. We have to be real before God. As he knows the number of hairs on my head, of course he knows me to the depths of my soul. And for us to genuinely interact with that unbelieving world, we have to be on our knees and honest before God. The power of giving up our shortcomings and our struggles and our failures over to him, it's profound. It's not just a little thing. It is a massive thing. And we have a really good example in David. Uh, We're going to use some verses from Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, he says this. David says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David immediately confesses his sin before God, and then he glories in God's grace. Then we move on to verses 10 and 12. He says, Create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David asks for help to do better, for a clean heart, a renewed spirit. And I think what's most important is he recognizes his absolute basic need for God. And then finally in verses 15 through 17, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, O oh God, will not despise. And David praises God. His response is praise. So again, this is no small thing that there's this kind of sequence that David goes through of just opening up and pouring out his heart and confessing to God and asking for forgiveness and for grace and for sustenance. It's absolutely essential This realness, this vulnerability before God, it changes everything. And here's the thing, by first taking everything to God in prayer, that's our first step to battling maybe those awkward conversations. Because if I'm right before God, then I have nothing to be ashamed of or uncomfortable about before man. We have to be real with God. The next thing is this, we have to be real every single day. See, we can't live two lives. Let me, let me say that again. We can live two lives, but we can't live two lives. We can't live three lives or four lives or f- however many lives we might try to live. This might be the hardest part of the message. Um, because I think it will be convicting, but I want to be really clear, like, I'm in it. We're in it together. So, so I'm not singling anyone out, um, but we're all here. So there's this inner battle, right? Paul described it really, really well in like one of the most confusing verses I've ever read. And he says, I don't do what I want to do, but I do what I don't want to do. And he's, and he's ashamed of him. He's going through this whole battle of how the world and his flesh just pulls him one way, yet the Holy Spirit working in him pulls another way. There's just this tug of war where he's constantly in this battle, this spiritual warfare. And when we think about it in our own lives, it, it, it sounds like this. Maybe I speak and act one way at church. But then when I'm with a particular group of friends, I speak and act a different way. And when maybe with them, when I'm with a different group of friends, I speak and act a different way. Or maybe when I'm at work, I speak and act yet a fourth way. Or maybe on Amplify night, I'm this guy. But on Saturday night, I'm this guy. It's the sort of thing I'm talking about. It's this dualism in our lives that, as the earlier quote said, is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. See, people see what we do, and they compare it to what we say, and if the two just don't match up, they're not going to listen. They're not going to be moved, not by us. doesn't mean God still can't work. That's that's not what I'm saying at all. But it, it might get in the way. So the point is we have to choose each day, and then throughout each day, to live before God and before man, one life in Christ. We can't pick and choose when to act right or say the right thing or to talk right. We have to continuously be living in the Spirit and allowing that fruit to come out of us. And this brings us to our next idea. Let your real life be evangelism. The best presentation of the gospel is to live it out. So I want to pull just maybe a couple kind of points from that. I think there could probably be a whole message, a whole sermon on just that idea. But, but two, two things I really want to point out. The first is this. If we live out one life in Christ, people will see. In fact, whether we realize it or not, people are looking for it. They are looking for someone in our world to be consistent. They're looking for someone that doesn't say, hey, you just do what you want to do when you want to do it, however you feel. They're looking for someone that lives one life. Now, this isn't a cop-out. This doesn't mean that we can shy away from conversations that might be uncomfortable or hard, but it sets the stage. See, people see right through hypocrisy. In fact, they expect it. Our world is full of hypocrisy. People, like, they, I think we almost have to overcome that in the first place, that people expect us to lead these dual lives. And so they'll they'll kind of accept it, but they won't listen to it. They won't respect hypocrisy. So as we go through these daily situations, living as Christ would live, people notice. And they notice because, again, it's so different. And they notice because the Holy Spirit is real. And he works through our lives. Here's the second thing. When others see how we're different, they want to know the truth. Now, this doesn't mean that they'll necessarily come out and ask, what is it that you have that I don't? I want it. Though they might. They might do that, but maybe not. But what it means is that if we are living as Christ would live before them, and then we speak truth into the situations of their life, they'll listen. It might be hard. They might not listen the first time, but they will. Because again, that stage has been set, that that trust has been built. They see you for who you are in Christ. So the presentation isn't so much what we say, but it's how we've lived. It's what they've seen. So if you want to share the gospel, share your life and share it well. So I think this kind of leads into um, this idea of relationship evangelism. And I think we can unpack that a little bit. And this is, a model that we see from Jesus and his disciples over and over and over, that what they do is they interact and they engage with people right where they are. Sometimes they go out to find people. Other times, like, the people find them. And and, and whatever the situation, they start building relationship. And sometimes this leads to, like, really lasting, long, heartfelt friendships. And sometimes, honestly, it was just an encounter. Just kind of a, a passing, isolated interaction. But either way, their lives and the things they said, it drew people in. It made people curious. It made people want to know why, what. It made them want proof. It made them want answers. It made them question. This is evangelism. To live in such a way that for others to be around us is for them to encounter the Holy Spirit living within us. Let's look at a real quick example. It's um, it's Paul. It's in Acts 16, verses 13 and 15. It says this. On the Sabbath, we went out Excuse me. We went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So as we see from just a real short, kind of quick example, maybe it's one of those verses, one of those things in the Bible you might just kind of read through and maybe not dig into a lot. But what we see is Paul and the people with him, they went out expecting to pray. And they found something different. They found this group of women. And I think what's important is he didn't establish this evangelism plan. He didn't have a brochure or pamphlet that said, okay, I'm going to go find these people. I'm going to say this. We're gonna, I'm going to show them this bracelet and talk about these colors. Like, Those things are fine, but that's not what happened in that situation. As he entered into life with those people, they wanted to know more. And they were touched by the Holy Spirit. So this leads us to our last fill in the blank. It's this. Expect changed lives. This may be the hardest thing of all. Of all the things that we can do to be real and to to help ourselves in those situations where we can share our faith, this might be the hardest. See, for the amount that we have faith in God to do other things in our lives, we tend to lack faith in the fact that the Holy Spirit is working through us. So when we do these things, when we present ourselves honestly before God, when we're right before God, and when we live out our salvation by following Christ's example, and people see that, and then we genuinely join in other people's lives and experiences, we come alongside them, God will work. We should expect this. I mean, we should eagerly anticipate that God is going to use us to bring others to him. But we don't. Sometimes we just, we just don't. Well, maybe say we do, but we don't. And I think about what in life do I do that I don't think is going to work, right? If I go do something, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to fail. Like, this is hopeless. It's not the right thing to do. What do I go into with that attitude and actually do my best at? And actually give my full effort. Hardly anything. In fact, that's one of the biggest things I, I won't say battle, that, that I try to coach up in athletes, whether it's wrestling, baseball, whatever it may be. It's that idea that if, if, you, if you go into a competition with a mindset that you're defeated, well, guess what? You're defeated. Right? And, it, and it's not necessarily because you can't succeed, but it's because you've put yourself in a place where you're not going to perform to your best ability because mentally you've taken yourself out of the game. And I think we do that. I think we do that. I think we go into situations where we come across other people's lives and and, and we say that, yes, like God can reach them and and, and I want to be a part of his work, but we don't actually expect it to happen. And so how effective can we really be, be if that's our mindset? So I want you to grasp this. If I expect that God will work and if I believe that the Holy Spirit lives in me and works through me, This is how God will change lives and win hearts. It's that simple. Let's read that again. So if I have the expectation that God will work, and if I truly believe that the Holy Spirit is living in me and working through me, this is how God will change lives and win hearts. So we need some action. So what's that mean for us? Uh, And the action really comes from a question, it's this how do you need to be more real? Where is it in your life that, that you're maybe just a little bit fake? Maybe it's, there's something you're not bringing before God. Maybe there's something that, that, for whatever reason, we're just not willing to give up. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a particular sin. Maybe it's a frustration. Maybe it's joy. What is it that we're not bringing before God? How are we not being real before God? Or maybe it's you're trying to be too many different people. trying to please this group of people, you're trying to please this group of people, and in the end, when you lay down in bed at night, you're really trying to please him, and it's getting really, really hard. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's a matter of, I need to be consistent and live out my one life in Christ, no matter who I'm with, no matter where I'm at, no matter what day of the week it is, maybe that's it. Or maybe it's, and this is the toughest one for me personally, maybe it's, I just have to be intentional. And where I see opportunity to be in and a part of someone's life, I need to do it. Right? Whereas my natural reaction is, okay, I got this to do. Like, I got to fix the dishwasher. I got to do the dishes. I got to plan for my, my students tomorrow. I got to take care of my kids. Like, that's, that's my natural response is I, I got to, like, I kind of got to take care of me first. And I miss opportunities. I don't come alongside people and grieve with them. I don't experience their joy with them. I don't listen about what they need to talk about. That's That's my struggle. Maybe that's yours too. It's just to let go of some of those other things and just just live with people, be there. Maybe it's all three things. I don't know. But I I think first we have to remember and believe that Jesus is relevant, that will never change. And then as we're looking for or entering into times when we might share our faith, we got to be before God. We have to be living one life before people. And we have to be willing to come alongside people. So wherever it may be for you, uh, it's very clear that God is calling us all to real life. In him and through Christ, we have to be real. Um, As the worship team comes back up, um, and as we transition back into finishing the song, Um, Let's go ahead and pray together over some of those things. Father in heaven, Lord, you are good, Uh, you're gracious. We can't thank you enough for that, Lord. Um, Of all the things that you are, those are maybe the two that we have to be most thankful for some days. And God, I thank you that you invite us to have abundant life in you, Father, that, that we don't have to try to be one person and be another person. And, and Lord, we need to bring everything to you and be real before you with everything about us, as if you don't know already, Father. And then, Lord, we have to commit and ask for your help in letting that light shine before men, all men, anywhere, everywhere on any single day. So, Lord, we ask for your strength and your conviction to do that. And, Father, ultimately, we have to do what Jesus did. He ate with people. He sat with people. He washed their feet, for goodness sakes. We have to be in real life with real people. And if we do those things, the opportunity, Lord, to proclaim you and to preach the gospel will be abundant. And, Father, ultimately, we have to expect that you are working that you are changing lives, that you are winning hearts, and we can be a part of that. In fact, you, you make that our greatest, greatest desire to be a part of that. So, Father, as we go forth today, um, please help us to do those things, to live that real and abundant life, Father, um, and ultimately to, to live out that commission that you've charged us with. Father, we love you, and we praise you and thank you so much for, for Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives. And we pray this morning in his name, amen.